Connor. Chris. Dadlit. Jack Reacher. Now. Yes. We are going back to the Reacher zone. Another time. Another, well, as I said, another round with Reacher. You might just say it's it's another Reacher round. I don't think this is a family-friendly podcast. Well, I don't know. I, I think Jack Reacher is kind of a family, family-friendly character. You know, he's sort of virtuous and, you know, noble. I, Alan I, Richin certainly is. What sure. a jolly fellow. Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. He's he is really. Are you jolly. excited for season two of Reacher on Amazon? I am. I bet I followed. I follow him on uh, Alan Richardson on uh, Instagram. So I've seen some you know little pictures of the set and stuff, and uh, I'm excited. And that um, you know that's a great segue to the book we're going to be discussing today, which Correct. is the uh, source material for the second season. And it is the 11th book in the Jack Reacher series. It was published in 2007. It is Bad Luck and Trouble by Lee Child. Yes, and it is one of my favorite of the series. And the first that I read. Oh, interesting. So this, would you say that this book got you hooked or? I mean, Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. I will say one minor disappointment is that this book introduces a bunch of characters that are not in other books. Uh, a couple of them pop back up, but as a whole, th- they feature in this book alone, and it's uh, a little sad, because I like them. Yeah, it's an ensemble. You get a look at um, a lot of Jack Reacher's old uh, military friends, actually. They're, the they're... Special Investigators. And you you do not mess with the Special Investigators. Mess invest- with the Special Investigators. <laughs> repeated uh, <laughs> Like 18 times. times. You do not mess with the special investigators. So this book, um, it's written in third person. If you remember... Not our... all of them are. Some of them are in first person. Some of them are in uh, third person. None of them are in second person, which would be weird. <laughs> well, like uh, a choose-your-own-adventure Reacher novel. <laughs> do you, I, I'm just imagining the end of a chapter, and the options are Reacher says something or Reacher says nothing. Yeah, it's like <laughs> quip or say nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you'll remember the last time we did an episode on a Jack Reacher book, I featured a quote by um, Lee Child where he talks about writing in third person and how that allows the reader to see around corners and see what's happening, you know, in a different location. And and it's a tool he uses as a storyteller. Um, We get a bit of that in this book. You have chapters that focus on Reacher and his crew of, you know, investigators. And you have chapters written about this shadowy terrorist figure whose path is clearly going to intersect with Reacher at some point. There's a couple of the books that do that. I mean, a lot of them have point of view of, like, villains and stuff. But, like, there's a couple that really stand out where it just, like, jumps back and forth between a character that's, like, an impending ticking clock kind of foreshadowing. I think the best example of it is, I want to say it's called 61 Hours, where the book is literally a countdown by hours to something, and you don't know what it is, and it's kind of cool. That sounds like a really kind of good good context to, to use the, you know, seeing around corner, shifting perspective. In this one, I, I thought it was... I don't know. One critique I have of this book is I don't think the villains were that interesting or well developed, and I thought it was just a way. No. I thought it was just a way to kind of keep this one villain in the picture, you know, just so I at the think... end he doesn't just show up and it's like, oh, and that's the bad guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't just pull him out of nowhere, but it does feel more like a crime novel in that it's like there's a a, a puzzle, a mystery. And there's clues to find, and there's uh, puzzles to crack, and people to round up. There's like getting the team together, and it it feels more like a procedural than most Reacher books do. Absolutely, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, detective work in this one, um, and it l- makes me curious for how they're going to handle that on the TV series. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I could see them just doing it. I don't know. It could be boring. I think they're That's... gonna change some stuff. I think they're gonna change the villains a bit. I think they're gonna to keep it entertaining and to do like the thing that TV shows do, where like episode by episode they have to have kind of like cliffhangers or 
some sort of like rising and falling tension by the episode rather than across the season. Um, I don't think that's hard to do with the Reacher books because it seems like like Child kind of writes like each chapter has a little kind of twist at the end and uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. So let me just get through a few things here. The title comes from an Albert King blues song, Born Under a Bad Sign. Here are the lyrics. Um, Born under a bad sign, been down since I begin began to crawl. If it wasn't for bad luck, you know, I wouldn't have no luck at all. Hard luck and trouble, been my only friend. I've been on my own ever since I was 10. So bad luck and trouble. Connor, I'm going to, Connor, Connor, we're going to have to re- re-record. You need to sing that. I know. Well, let's get, maybe I'm we can get a, sing it. we'll probably find a copyright free version. Um, I doubt it. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the lyrics don't really have much to do with the, the story. They don't really tie, tie in like they do in no, like just Persuader, you know. Okay. I read the 2014 Dell Mass Market Edition. Nothing really remarkable about it. The uh, 2007 first edition, it just has this circular target symbol on the cover. It's nothing too crazy, nothing that interesting. Um, 85 chapters total. And I want. I think I want to add that to the Dadlet checklist. If, it, if a book has more than 25 chapters, because yeah. 85 chapters is kind of a lot excessive it's excessive and there is a dedication dedication page and the dedication is for the real francis l nagley uh, that makes me so curious i'm very curious about that too and um I, I did a quick a google very interesting character and i am i almost want to do a deep dive and try to figure out who the real one was and who what their story is yeah i i me too me too and Richard has said that he has like military contacts that he'll reach out to. I think like most writers of like, you know, popular fiction have like people they can go to to get information about like X, Y, and Z. So maybe it's a military person that helps him with, you know, he's also said that it's got to be. He's also said he doesn't do a whole lot of research because he's like, it's just sort of like my kind of common sense approach to it. Like I figure this is, you know, what they do. So, all right, my general impressions, okay, I'll go through the things I liked about this book kind of bullet point very quickly. There is a meanness to Reacher in this book. For sure. He's extra cantankerous. Yeah. Actually, let me read the back description real quick to give everyone just a sense of what it's about. From a helicopter high above the California desert, a man is sent free-falling into the night and Jack Reacher is plunged into the heart of a conspiracy that is killing old friends. Reacher has no phone, no address, no ties, but a woman from his former military unit has found him using a signal only the eight members of their elite team would know. Then she tells him about the brutal death of one of their own. Soon they learn of the sudden disappearance of two other comrades, but Reacher won't give up, because in a world of bad luck and trouble, when someone targets Jack Reacher and his team, that better be ready for what comes right back at them. You do not mess with the special investigators. So it's a revenge story, which gets me to my to general impressions, and that's something I like about this is there's a meanness to Reacher in this book. Someone has killed one of his friends, and from the get go, he establishes that anyone involved in this is going to die. So he is like yeah. he's bloodthirsty. There's several strong supporting characters. We meet his old special investigators team. You do not mess with the special investigators. And they all have these kind of cool set of idiosyncrasies. And it's just kind of neat to see them work as a team. There's some great set pieces. The opening scene where this guy gets thrown out of a helicopter is well done. There's a really... It's a very good opening. And I hope they almost do it like shot for shot in the show. For sure. it, It feels right out of the like... Uh, pre-title credit like opening to a movie in the 80s i could see i could see you know the the guy gets thrown out hits the ground and like reacher you know like title card up there's like there's some co- a cool shootout there's a cool scene where they like raid this building with these honda civics these like tricked out honda civics we also get also the they, they do a thing i was gonna wait till later to talk about but we'll, i'll bring it up now they do the thing that i love in these reacher books which is the how do you get a gun or how do you get guns in this oh, yeah. universe oh yeah uh, and yeah. i love i love how he gets guns repeatedly in books especially this one yeah i i, I definitely have a, a passage i want to read when we when we get to that point in the plot about how they do that and it's kind of funny it is. It, there's great set pieces there's some really good reacherisms you know we get uh what i i'm calling reacher numerology where he like gets oh a, he gets like a, a set of numbers <laughs> and like analyzes them and like extracts he does like it multiple times the, oh yeah the 
the message to lure him into this is like a mathematical puzzle and then later the code cracking that he does is also like a mathematical puzzle and he does way too much math in this book which is interesting that it held my attention because i hate math i also like that we continue to confront the realities of life on the road for reacher specifically in this one him not having money it's it's revisited several times in the book he he's kind of running out of money and at one point he has to go and rob some drug dealers just to get some walking around cash and for much of the story, Nagley and the other investigators float him, you know, for hotel rooms and food. But Reacher is very sheepish about, you know, accepting money or, you know, having anyone pay for, for any of his stuff. And I thought that was a nice kind of, you know, acknowledgement of the reality of the Reacher lifestyle is that, yeah, you might not always have money. Um, things My I, favorite yeah. is when he gets the government to pay for shit. Yeah, yeah. There's several, several books where, like, he gets brought on to, like, another investigation or, like sort of like a consultant for the government and i love it when he gets them to foot the bill things i didn't like about this not a very strong villain and i thought that nagley she kind of gets the shaft in this story i'll explain about yes. that more later and um other than that though you know we'll get to the dadlet checklist later but i want to say up front that this for me ticks a lot of dadlet boxes um it's definitely uh -huh. a dadlet book it'll be enjoyed by dadlet readers However, it's not my favorite Jack Reacher book. Persuader is still my favorite book, and um, I, I thought it was, it was on my favorite. I think I'm, I generally land towards Tripwire or this one being my favorite. But so, what? What is it? The story? Is it the the ensemble? Like what? What kind of stood out for you when you first read this? The ensemble and like the logical mind at, of Reacher at work. And uh, just kind of like, I don't know, it, at the time that I read this, it didn't feel like any book I'd read before. Um, and it still kind of stands out in the Reacher series for that. I don't know. Uh, I just, I think it reads well. Yeah, I think turner. it definitely has more of the, of the Reacher think. And like, as you pointed out, there's some puzzles that need to get solved. There's like, it, it has a quite kind of traditional mystery to the to the story like it's a, it is a sort of who done it but you have some kind of non-traditional type detectives yeah so do you want to get into the plot now i'll try and summarize it and no. hit the main points so the story begins with this guy calvin franz and he's being loaded into a helicopter on a stretcher we later learn that franz is a former colleague of reachers from his army days and when we see him he's really banged up he's B uh, cut up bruised he's got two broken legs um clearly he's been tortured and he's loaded into this helicopter an unidentified man instructs the helicopter pilot to fly out over uh, open desert then he tells these two goons in the chopper now is the time they open the window they kind of crank up the stretcher so it angles downward and then they kind of, they don't throw him out of the helicopter. They actually kind of slide him out. Like they, yeah. they cut the straps on the they gurney. They the gurney and he just kind of slides down the gurney. Bye. <laughs> and Well, and I think it's interesting because like at first you hear about this injured man being loaded on, on a gurney into a helicopter. And you're like, oh, okay, he's getting uh, medical help. And then you very quickly learn, no. Not at all. Um, and this is the basis of the conflict in the story. Who killed him and why? So the next chapter starts a few weeks later. We see Jack Reacher. He's getting some money out of an ATM. When He, he see, has a bank card. Yeah, uh, that's another... Child has said that like that's kind of one of the questions that his publishers said he should address in the books is like, people don't do telephone banking anymore. Maybe he should have a debit card or something. So anyways, he makes it work in this because he incorporates it into the story. He's getting some money out of the ATM when he sees that he has some more money in his bank account than he uh, thought he had. And he notices a deposit in the amount of $1,030. And this is our first instance of Reacher numerology. Um, he sees that 1030, and he interprets it as an old army code, 1030, which means an urgent need for help. So he calls the bank, he sweet talks the customer service rep, and he finds out that the money was deposited at a bank in Chicago. And in Reacher's head, Chicago equals Nagley, his old colleague. Yep. 
So he calls her office and he speaks to her assistant. And the assistant kind of comes in to play multiple times here. And he's just a guy on the other end of the line. It's kind of funny. I thought that he would be like brought further into the story. But anyways, he talks to her assistant and finds out she's on her way to L.A. So Reacher decides to head to L.A. And through some more special Reacher think, he figures out exactly where Nagley would go in L.A. So let me read that part because it's kind of a... Again, it's just, it's just a good example of, of how Reacher's mind functions. He used the flight time, figuring out where in L.A. she would hole up. Back in the day, it had been part of his job to find people, and he had been pretty good at it. Success depended on empathy. Think like them, feel like them, see what they see, put yourself in their shoes, be them. Easier with AWOL soldiers, of course. Their aimlessness gave their decisions a special kind of purity, and they were heading away from something, not toward something. Often they would adopt a kind of unconscious geographic symbolism. If their route into a city was from the east, they would hole up on the west. They would want to put mass between themselves and their pursuers. Reacher would spend an hour with a map and a bus schedule in the yellow pages, and often he would predict the exact block he would find them on, the exact motel. Tougher with Nagley, because she was heading for something. I thought that this is this is one of the things that kind of keeps me coming back to Reacher books is that really kind of interesting expert psychological element of, of his investigative style. The idea that, yeah, just tell me a little bit about the guy. Give me a map and a Yellow Pages book and I'll tell you exactly where he is. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. unique kind of intelligence. So in this case, he figures uh, Nagley is going to be in downtown L.A. Uh, he guesses Hollywood. Lo and behold, he makes it to Hollywood and he's walking by a Denny's. And who does he see sitting at a booth inside the Denny's? It's Nagley. Um, they have lunch. They eat at Denny's quite a bit in this book. Um, there are a few other diners. I wonder if he got like a sponsorship. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's like weird product <laughs> placement in a book. Well, They could have just ma- named any diner. I kind of like that he 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 will eat at a Denny's and there's like because obviously you know Reacher. I'll eat at a Denny's. Oh no, I, me too. Obviously Reacher loves diners, but I like that he doesn't have like a diner snotty or snootiness in this. You know what I mean? Denny's. He's like Denny's is good too. Um, Denny's, if you're listening, Denny's, if you're listening, sponsor yeah. us. Hey Chris, what's your favorite Denny's meal? You, oh man, let me tell you, uh, I really like their uh, steak and eggs. Uh, also, their coffee is great diner coffee. I love their coffee, if, too. If anyone's ever had diner coffee, they'll know what I mean. It's like a different kind of coffee. It has like a different quality to it than any other kind of coffee. I like that. It's like perfect as is. You don't even like need to put anything in it. I like getting a slice of pie, a cup of coffee, and I used to get the, um, it was this turkey sandwich they had that was good. It had bacon on it. It was very good. Brought to you by Denny's. Denny's, sponsor us. Only at Denny's. Well, there is another diner that they visit a few times, and they're, they're like, man, this is really bad. Like, they go to a diner, and they, but they keep <laughs> See, going back to it. Once again, it's like it's, it's, they're trying to promote Denny's. They're like, hey, other diners, not so good. Go to Denny's. So, anyways. Denny's sponsor us. Denny's. At this point, Nagley uh, reveals to Reacher that their colleague, Calvin Franz, is dead. She suspects someone's hunting down and killing off members of their old special investigation team. You do not mess with the special. They head back to Nagley's hotel room in Beverly Hills and try and contact their old teammates, but they can't get a hold of anyone. There's a total of nine special investigators, including Reacher and Nagley. One of them, they learned, uh, died in a car accident, so there's only eight living ones now. So based upon the fact that Calvin Franz is dead and that the um, other special investigators are out of commission, they kind of assume that they, they all might be dead. Um, they conclude that Calvin Franz was likely onto something and that he had probably reached out to his former colleagues for assistance um, and that their involvement in uh, Franz's case probably got to probably got them killed. And they also figure that um, Franz left out left out them, left out Reacher and Nagley because they either lived too far away or because he knew that Reacher was basically unreachable. So they visit uh, Franz's widow and child, and his widow gives Reacher Franz's office keys. They go to his uh, office. He's a private investigator, and it's trashed from top to bottom. 
And they figure that because it's trashed from top to bottom, whatever the person who, who trashed it was looking for, they probably didn't find. You know, you wouldn't go and destroy a place. Like, as soon as you found it, you'd leave. So then they remember that there's a post office in the plaza where this office is located. Um, Calvin Franz has, it's like, it's a, it's a sort of like a shopping mall, not a shopping mall, but like a, like a shopping plaza, you know, he's got like an office sure. front. Yeah. So they go to the post office with Franz's keys. Nagley distracts like a strip the, mall kind of yeah, thing? Or like a, for yeah. sure. Like, and I thought that was kind of a good image because it's like, you get the sort of romanticism of their like international adventures, you know, in the army as special investigators and then life afterward, afterwards, like, yeah, he's a private investigator, but it's a pretty, like, ordinary kind of existence, you know, where, like, your office is in a shopping mall. It's it's very ordinary, you know? Again, strip mall, strip mall. Shopping strip. mall gives a different image. All right, strip mall. You're right, you're right. There you go. Okay, so they go to the. It's sexier. Yeah. It's yeah, not really. <laughs> it's kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually kind of worse yeah. given the state of shopping malls nowadays. Like it would be like, yeah, I'm next to the pretzel guy and this place that like sells like you know uh, I, I don't know like uh, airbrush t-shirts like. <laughs> yeah, but don't you think electronics are sexier? Then a, what's in a strip mall? Then a post office. Yeah. What else is in a strip mall? What? Radio Shack. Okay. So sexy. All right. Well, anyways, so they get they go What's to the in the parking lot. Denny's, the sexiest. <laughs> True. Oh, Only a Denny's. Denny. They go to the post office. Reacher has the uh, uh, Franz's keys. He's trying all the PO boxes to see if any of them open. And while he's doing that, Nagley's distracting the postal clerk. So the clerk takes so long. I hear the clerk. So the clerk isn't like, "Hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing that?" So, but anyways, they he they find uh, Franz's PO box. They open it and they find these USB drives. These little, you know, USB flash drives. Sticks is the there. future. I know. So I know. high tech. Wow. And basically what they realize is that uh, Franz was mailing himself his case notes. He was putting them in the in the U.S. mail so they would end up in his P.O. box so they were someplace safe. And there's multiple USB drives and they realize, you know, one of these drives is going to be the most recent one and have the most recent information on it. It's password protected. And um, they realize, too, that... If they put in too many incorrect passwords, it'll probably wipe the drive clean. And I think they determine that they have like six tries. They kind of just like... I'm sure that exists in real life, but it's pretty wild. I'm sure it does too, but I also think they kind of like... I don't know. They, they this It was a little shoddy. A little, little kind of jumped to that, but it's okay. Whatever, you know? Um, so this is... You know, we get a password cracking scene here. We do some Reacher Think... Um, you know, there lots of baseball facts. Yeah. And, you know, Reacher <laughs> thinks about like, well, you know, what kind of words would be important to this guy? What kind of numbers? Um, they try a bunch of them. None of them work. So, but they leave themselves with one more chance. They down to the wire. Yeah. They end up going to another special investigator's workplace. This guy, Tony Swan, who actually becomes a pretty, um, uh, central character in it even though we don't really like see him too much correct and tony yeah. swan is kind of funny he's described as like they repeatedly make a point to say like he was as tall as he was wide like that's you know that's who he is his character type <laughs> now hold on do you read that as short and wide or do you read that as gigantic like reacher where he's short huge. and wide i read it as okay is, that's is, okay good yeah. good yeah yeah me too but the way you say it as tall as he is wide that could be just like a gigantic man like the big show or like uh, andre the giant which now i kind of want this man to just be a really intelligent andre the giant well i took it to mean that he was very strong and powerful but that he was like small and like yeah just you know yeah puck yeah yeah like a, yeah so they go to his workplace, and um, they they he worked uh, for this defense contractor called New Age, um, and they're they're trying to figure out you know they go there because Tony Swan is missing they can't get a hold of him so they go there they talk to the HR manager whose name is Margaret Berenson and she's kind of a, a big character in this too, and she tells them 
you know, we we actually let him go three weeks ago. He was great. We all love him. He did an amazing job. But our business is not doing so great right now. So we had to kind of trim some of the fat. And unfortunately, we had to let him go. Rude. Yeah, I know. And around this time, another character enters the picture, David O'Donnell. He is one of the special investigators. And um, he basically shows He's up at their favorite. hotel. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is he your favorite? I just love the way he's characterized and that he's he's like um he's almost like a James Bond type like very ruthless and cunning but suave and like clean cut he has a, sh- a sharp tongue as sharp as his knives I love him yeah he's described as um that he looks more like like a, a, a banker or someone who works in finance because he's very well dressed, very clean cut, tall, you know, lean guy, um, just a sharp looking dude. And he he carries he has a uh, these sort of um, signature items, check dad list, checklist item. He he ca- he carries with him a um, these they're porcelain knuckles like brass knuckles. Yeah, and, but they can go through yeah, metal detectors. Right, it, so porcelain. that's why. And a uh, stiletto, like a switchblade, yeah. a porcelain switchblade. That yeah, they're they're very strong. They can't, they won't break, but and they will make it through I'm a metal detector. I'm just gonna detector. tell you, the show, the show better not fuck this up. They better make this guy cool as hell. I looked online to see if I could find like porcelain brass knuckles. I found some stuff that was. Did like you a, really, Connor? <laughs> God. Did you put it in the same cart as your Schmeiser automatic pistol and your Sten gun? No, no, I didn't find porcelain no. knuckles. I found some like, uh, like rock kind of like I don't know. I the... want you to know you're now on multiple lists, and also they're probably not allowed to sell porcelain knuckles online for obvious reasons. Yeah, I know. I mean, it depends which <laughs> it depends which state you're. Well, no, I think those are easier to get because they usually just sell them as paperweights. That's like how you get around you stuff like that. Just, probably just make them um the uh the buying knives i think is a little trickier it depends on what state you live in certain knives like a gravity knife you can't buy that in every state i'm pretty sure um i think you can buy us like a switchblade though i don't know um yeah anyways he so he's a cool character i liked him a lot too i thought that any of these characters could really have a spin-off uh, I think it would also yeah. be like uh, I don't know. But... I still think that Nagley could absolutely have a spinoff, and like I, this book could have almost been from her point of view. It would have been interesting. Yeah, it it would be yeah. interesting to he- read this book from like any of their points of view. Honestly, they are all all of it. The special investigators are like private investigators or like professional like security consultants. Like they all have interesting lives that they, they kind of put on hold to come help and, you know, deal with this revenge. Dadlet will be right back after a word from our sponsor. For dinner, lunch, for Sunday brunch, welcome to Denny's. I think the menu at Denny's is really good. It's got a really neat selection. And I always find their coffee is excellent. And the service is real good. I love to get out of the kitchen and Denny's is a great place to come for dinner. At Denny's, I can get anything on the menu at any time of day, and I love it. Welcome to Denny's. I think it's really great. We're looking good. And now, back to our show. So, uh, David O'Donnell shows up, and he cracks the password pretty quickly. Um, it's kind of a touching scene, because he's like, well, it would Yeah, because he's cool. Well, he's like, it would be something, you know, it's probably a name, something simple that was really important to him. And do you remember what the password is? Uh, isn't it Reacher? It's Reacher. And yeah. I was like, oh, Tear, he loved you, Jack. It's, it's, and Jack has a blind spot for himself, which makes perfect sense for his character. Yeah, so they crack the password. They open, they, they get access to the files. And what they find are some like Excel type spreadsheets with several data sets. Um, and the the way the no so interesting yeah I know the numbers the way that they're like configured it looks like it could be sports scores or some kind of statistics it's like yeah more baseball it's like numbers like four hundred and seventy six out of six hundred it's like it's they're they're configured that way they really don't know but we get some more reacher think about what this could be and they also it's left, it's left really vague it is it is and honestly there's a lot of time spent on um, on it. 
and uh, anyways um there's all they also see a few names written down it's gonna be so interesting for television one of them's adrian mount we'll get to that later yeah as we progress in the story, we, we, the reader, see that this group is being followed. We see that someone is watching them from afar. But then Child kind of pulls out this perspective even more, and we see that another person is watching them. So there's like two cars following them, um, mm-hmm. two different watchers. So they end up going to Tony Swan's home to look for more clues. I think they find that his dog is dead, that someone had killed his dog. They don't find anything in terms of like material clues they leave the house they see one of the guys following them and they basically set up this trap where they they force him to stop his car they tear him out of the car and reacher like punches him in the face a few times and we learn that this guy following them is actually an la county deputy his name's thomas brant um always good to assault a cop what's that always good to just randomly assault a cop i mean they didn't know he was a cop no and they they kind of treat it seriously they're like kind of concerned about it in the book they're like uh that's not good you know like he might make a problem out of this it's not like he's just some like joe schmo that that in real life he would oh i mean are you kidding me cool with assault and it doesn't matter how important you are to a case you assault a cop they're gonna bring you in and they do they do kind of have there's a scene where they kind of try and squash it but anyways around this time carla dixon enters the scene and Carla Dixon is another one of the special investigators. You do not mess with the special investigators. She's described, I think, as like short, dark hair, very pretty, very well dressed. She has her own like PI business that she's doing too. They just so just to tally things up. At this point, there are three missing team members: Manuel Orozco, Jorge Sanchez, and Tony Swan. Those are the people that they cannot account for yet. The team consists of Francis Nagley, David O'Donnell, Carla Dixon, and Jack Reacher. So, and at this point, the team begins to suspect that maybe Calvin Franz isn't the one who's at the start of this whole thing. They, you know, they kind of assumed that it was an investigation that he was doing because they was, he was the first guy to show up dead. But maybe they think maybe one of the other special investigators is the one that instigated this thing. So an L.A. County sheriff's detective confronts Reacher and the rest of them at the hotel. Um, his name is Curtis Monty. And he's like, hey, you know, you shouldn't have roughed up, roughed up my deputy. The deputy is also there. And, but he explains to him, like, yeah, we're following you. We think that, you know, you guys, uh, well, we think someone's following you. And, yeah, we're basically allowing you to, to serve as bait. So we're going to watch we're you. We're counter-following you. Yeah. We're, we're, so if someone makes a move on you, you know, we can arrest them. We can move on them. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully we'll find out who the bad guy is. And it's funny in this scene, the deputy who Reacher roughs up is sitting there and he's like described as like being really banged up. And like the, the detective is trying to kind of broker peace and he's like, let's all just chill out. You know, uh, we all said and did some things we probably regret. And then, you know, Reacher gets up to leave and like behind him, the the deputy like winds up to cheap shot him and you know with his kind of reacher spidey sense he just like turns around and i think he like grabs the guy and is like lizard brain yeah yeah he's like he's like don't do it (laughs) um later on it's Monty, the detective who tells them that jorge sanchez was found dead out in the desert same way calvin franz was killed it looked like he was dropped from a great height um this would have been cool to tell them right away but you know I, I think it kind of, well, we, we kind of figure out why later on, you know, okay, no spoilers yet. Uh, well, this whole thing's a spoiler, but anyways. So they find out, I think through Monty, it might be through Nagley's like uh, office assistant who's always calling them, um, that Sanchez and Orozco, they were partners in a Las Vegas casino security firm. So Reacher and the team decide to pursue this avenue of investigation. Maybe those two guys are the ones who started all this. So at this point, the um, story changes setting. It moves from Los Angeles, you know, Hollywood, Beverly Hills. Uh, It also takes place in Orange County a little bit. But now we go to Las Vegas. They drive out to Las Vegas. Uh, Hell of a drive. And the spoiler part is this whole part of the story is a red herring. It doesn't have to do... um, with Sanchez and Orozco. So they they seek out these major casino security directors. They want to talk to like the people in the casino security community 
to see if there was any rumors about Sanchez and Orozco being involved in some sort of investigation. What Reacher suspects is that there was some sort of large-scale multi-casino theft network and that the numbers in that um, Excel spreadsheet that we talked about earlier have something to do with that. They meet uh, Sanchez's girlfriend. She directs them to Orozco's wife and children. And Orozco's wife tells them that Manny and Jorge got a phone call from an old friend a few weeks back. So they they determine that whatever they're investigating, it, it, ha- it doesn't have to do with Manny and Jorge. It's, it's someone else. You know, someone reached out to them. They didn't start it. And at that point, they're fairly certain this has to do with Tony Swan and New Age, the company they work for. So there's a scene here, which to me is sort of like the standout scene of the book. They're all um, walking through Vegas as a group, Reacher and the Special Investigators. You do not mess with the Special Investigators. They're passing through old Las Vegas. They're, they're, they're passing past this construction site, this sort of lesser trafficked area of the Strip. And we get this, the perspective switches to this guy in a car stalking them. And the guy in the car is like on the phone with someone and whoever's on the phone is like, yeah, take him out now. And, um, he's, this guy is described as a man in a dark blue suit. He's got the jump on them. He's like right behind them. They're all there. He looks at them and he figures out, okay, I'm going to shoot that guy first. Then that guy, then that guy. He's ready. He's ready to do it. Who would dare look at Jack, the mountain reacher and assassin James Bond looking motherfucker and two other, like, uh, I, I would assume that, like, uh, Dixon is wearing, like, uh, like a suit or some, like, tight, you know, athletic fitting clothes. Go ahead, let your imagination go, Chris. She's wearing something tight, yeah, and, and then I feel like, and I, f- well, and I feel, well, they're, they, they are athletic, so I'm just imagining that they're, uh, they're wearing clothes that they can move easily in, but that still looks professional because they're going around, like, meeting people. And then got Nagley, which absolutely is wearing something that she can kick someone in. And you look at this group and go, yeah, I could take them. Well, I mean, if you feel like you've got, for, number one, this guy's underestimating them. But number two, he's like, they're, they're it's like fish in a barrel. You know, they're right in front of me. So let, They don't know that I'm after them. So he's, he's getting ready to shoot them. But the first thing he needs to do is he needs to rack the slide on his handgun. And when he does that, it makes a sound. And what do you think happens then? Uh, lizard brain is tingling. Yeah, let me read. Um, <laughs> let me read this section. Um, uh, the scrape. Now I'm just picturing Jack Reacher with the little like lightning bolts around his head from the Spidey Sense animation from the cartoon. <laughs> I mean, it's basically what happens. But he's not just. Yeah. He's not the only <laughs> one. So here's here's that scene. So the guy racks the slide. Uh, He heard it very clearly. It was exactly the kind of sound he had trained himself never to miss. To his ears, it was a complete, complex, split-second symphony, and every component registered precisely. The scrape of alloy on alloy, its metallic resonance partially damped by a fleshy palm, and the ball of a thumb and the side of an index finger. The grateful expansion of a magazine spring, the smack of a brass-cased shell socketing home, the return of the slide— Those sounds took about a thirtieth of a second to reach his ears, and he spent maybe another thirtieth of a second processing them. Damn, that's some good-ass ears. Yeah, well, here's some more. His life and his history lacked many things. He had never known stability or normality or comfort or convention. He had never counted on anything except surprise and unpredictability and danger. He took things exactly as they came, for exactly what they were. Therefore, he heard the slide rack back and felt no disabling shock, no panic, no stab of disbelief. It seemed entirely natural and reasonable to him that he should be walking down a street at night and listening to a man preparing to shoot him in the back. There was no hesitation, no second-guessing, no self-doubt, no inhibition. There was just evidence of a purely mechanical problem laid out behind him like an invisible four-dimensional diagram showing time and space and targets and fast bullets and slow bodies. And then there was the reaction, another 30th of a second later. I mean, to be fair, like, this is after 10 books of this kind of bullshit happening to him, uh, after an entire lifetime that we don't have books about, like, 
he should just be walking down the street being looking at his watch being like is it about time i get jumped it's usually about this time of the book that i get jumped well I, to me that whole that sequence the description is very textbookly child jack reacher writing and it's a hundred percent and and again it's one of the things that draws me to these books is you get scenes like that and it's you know you you see things slow down in reacher's head it's a very good like literary um translation of stuff that you see in movies like in the matrix you know when it goes in bullet time it's like child is very good at writing bullet time scenes yeah Yeah. it's it's yeah and what follows is basically um it says like a 30th of a second there what follows is three pages of description for like what is less than a half second of a shootout you get into everyone's thinking they're all kind of like intuitively know what each other are going to do without saying anything and and basically what happens is that like reacher kind of jumps to the side he pushes someone that the, the other person person pushes someone and o'donnell has the best angle and he kind of like drops down draws his gun and shoots and he hits him uh, right in the leg. And like Reacher first comments, like that's a good shot for like how quick this went down. But then later on, he, he talks to O'Donnell and he's like, listen, we're all getting old and rusty because, uh, yeah, that was a good shot. But, you know, 20 years ago, you would have shot him right in the forehead. Um, <laughs> so anyways. It's because O'Donnell's cool as hell. He's a cool cat. Yeah. he's. <laughs> so after this, they're contacted by Monty, the L.A. County uh, detective, who tells them they found Tony Swan's body out in the desert. Swan is dead. Nagley has all these contacts. Like she seems like the most like well-connected private investigator of, of them all. She has all these like government contacts and she reaches out to them and they, she kind of really has to pressure them, but she gets information that new age, the company Tony Swan worked for has a contract to create these surface to air missile systems. These like portable missile systems. And they're special because they go up, they float around in the upper atmosphere then they come down and that's different because a surface to yeah this the way a surface to air missile yeah. works at least in the book as it's explained is that it, it gets fired and it hits directly its target yeah and that allows um certain aircraft to utilize countermeasures because they see it coming from below um so they can deploy like flares or chaff or whatever this thing yeah. goes up and then it comes down on top of the aircraft which means it vir- it has virtually no way to detect it coming or or to prevent it from getting hit. So it's it's pretty dangerous stuff. This uh, this is the point. I know you've I been. I do want to point out. I do want to point out before we get to the point that I've been waiting for. Yes. Um. I do want to. I do want to point out that um. You talk about Nagley quite a bit, and uh, that that she has contacts and things. Um. This is not the first time we've seen Nagley in these books. Uh. And it won't be the first time we've seen her in the show either. Though the show introduces her like in the first season um it takes six books before we see her in the the book series but she's like worked with reacher uh helping the vice president out and the secret service out uh she kind of like stays in the same kind of like tactical world that she like was in uh whereas like reacher kind of more or less retires but becomes an action movie star and uh, I don't know what O'Donnell does, and he won't tell anybody. He's a but, private uh, investigator as well, but he doesn't really. Uh, sure, sure, he is. They don't talk too <laughs> a much. Private investigator that yeah. carries around a knife and, well, uh, and knuckles. What Dixon does, they kind of explain Dixon's specialty is she's sort of like a numbers person, and she's like involved in like yeah. the investigation of financial crime. She's she's a yeah, she's like a big brain. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't really. This is like the first time we really see or hear of them. I think they might have been like. Dixon might have been offhanded mentioned in another book, and I think she shows up again later in the series. But um, the only one we've seen like previous to this is Nagley. Yeah, yeah, she's she's vital. I mean, she draws him into this at the beginning. She she reaches well, out and to I him. I said that the fact the fact that they introduce her in season one of the show is why I thought they were going to use this book for season two, um, and I was right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so, okay. The point you've been waiting for. All right, let me. See. Yes. It's around this point they decide they're going to need to get more guns. They're going to need cars, and they're going to need some more money. And let me just start off by saying, with there is a scene. I think we we've passed by it uh, already, but where Reacher robs like these drug dealers to get some more cash. Like he basically watches like this drug dealer 
it, like a bag, like a bag. Hand yeah, off, like a, he yeah. watches a bag handoff, and he goes and just, you know, he he figures out their system, and he goes and robs them and takes the money, and that's pretty much it. I think later on, like they try and jump him, but him and O'Donnell like fight them or something like that. But anyways, yeah, it's the I love that scene too because that's the one of the like flip a table and hide behind it kind of action scenes. Yeah, and he uses his knife to yeah. cut like an eye hole in it. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> like yeah. the, so. Okay, they get they they purchase these like souped up Honda Civics, and like they're good for shuttling around in. I thought of them as like Fast and the Furious style cars. Like I thought they, I imagined them having like neon lights on their undercarriage and like spoilers and like nitrous Definitely oxide not. system. Definitely not. There, but now now I want a crossover between Fast and Furious and Jack Reacher. Dude, Fa- Fast and Furious X has Alan Richson in it. Wait, what? Yeah. The most recent one. No way. Yeah. Okay, now I have to see it. Okay. And part of this is them. They're in California. They have to get their hands on some guns. And in California, that's hard to do, obviously, because and Reacher considers, you know, maybe we could, like, bribe someone in the military to sell us some weapons. Then he's like, yeah, that probably won't work. They do. Um, Nagley comes up with a solution. Uh, sorry. Uh, it's not Nagley. It's Dixon comes up with the solution. Yeah, the big brain. Yeah. So here's here's I just I'll just read it because it, it's a nice little paragraph. Carla Dixon thought she had a better idea. She ran through it over breakfast. Obviously, she dismissed at Denny's. Yeah, I, pro- I think actually I think you're right. Denny's real breakfast, twenty four seven. She 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 uh, she ran through it over a grand slam and a cup of coffee. Um, mm. Obviously, she dismissed the notion of going to a store and buying guns legally. Neither she nor Reacher knew the exact details relevant to California, but they both assumed there would be registration and an ID requirement and maybe some kind of cooling off period involved. So Dixon proposed driving out of L.A. County into a neighboring county heavier with Republican voters, which in practical terms meant south into orange. Then she proposed finding pawn shops and using generous applications of Nagley's cash to get around whatever lesser regulations might apply down there. She thought enhanced local respect for the Second Amendment plus enhanced profit margins would do the trick, and she figured there would be a big choice of merchandise. They could cherry-pick exactly what they wanted. So Generous application of cash. So if you want to buy guns illegally, go to a Republican county and bribe the pawn shop owner. That's pretty much the goal. I mean, I thought that was, like, common knowledge. I mean... I bet, I bet that's how you could get your porcelain knuckles. Um, here in New Mexico, uh, I mean, guns are, it's a, it's a gun culture, you know? It depends where you are, but uh, they limited some, um, they limited some, uh, in the recent legislative session, they, they did some restrictive gun legislation, but in general, there's so much. I, mean, I live in, I live in Warrida, the gunshine state. Well, there's a lot of ranchers out here who need weapons, so there's like a gun culture here, you know. Yeah, we don't need guns here. You got alligators. Well, we got them. You got alligators. We got them. You gotta get no, those. the alligators are like bears. They'll just run away from you. And those pythons. No, I know. They're like lizard bears. Yeah. So they go to a few different pawn shops. Some people like they talk to a few people, and most of them are like, "No, I, you know, I'm not going to do that." But they go to one, and this guy uh, has a a couple glocks and like reacher kind of strikes a deal with them. And he's like, well, listen, what if we say like, I'm renting these for you? Like, you know, trying to make them more comfortable. And the guy seems like he's going to do the deal and reacher gives him the money. But then the guy like pulls out a gun and is just like, nah, I think I'll just keep the money. You know, see you later. You know, he tries to screw him over again. Who are these people that look at Jack Nunn reacher and go, yeah, I could do this. Well, I mean, you know, if you got a gun on someone, you probably assume like there's nothing they're going to do, but you have to be willing to pull the trigger pretty quickly. And so this is another scene I wanted to read a little bit from. Um, So this guy is on is behind the counter. Reacher's on the other side of the counter. Reacher wants to get his money back and he wants to get the guns too. Reacher's left arm moved straight out sideways from the shoulder. The boxer Muhammad Ali's reach was reckoned to be about 40 inches and his hands were once timed at an average 80 miles an hour as they moved through it. Reacher was no Ali, not even close, especially not on his weaker side. 
His left hand moved at about 60 miles an hour maximum. That was all. But 60 miles an hour was the same thing as a mile a minute, which was the same thing as 80 feet per second, which meant that Reacher's left hand took a little less than 30 thousandths of a second to cross the counter, and halfway through its travel, it bunched into a fist. And 30 thousandths of a second was way too brief an interval, interval for the guy to pull the python's trigger. Any revolver is a complex mechanical system, and one as big as the python is heavier in its action than most not very susceptible to accidental discharge. The guy's finger didn't even tighten. He took Reacher's fist in his face before his brain had even registered that it was moving. Reacher was a lot slower than Muhammad Ali, but his arms were a lot longer, which meant that the guy's head accelerated through a whole extra foot and a half before Reacher's arm was fully extended. And then the guy's head kept on accelerating. It kept on accelerating right until it crashed against the wall behind the counter and shattered the glass over the gun dealer's license. At that point, it stopped accelerating and started a slow downward slide to the floor. Reacher was over the counter before the guy had even settled. He kicked the python away and used his heel to break the guy's fingers. Fingers. <laughs> Both hands. Fingies. Yeah, also, uh, Jack Reacher, not faster than a speeding bullet, but faster than pulling a trigger. That's the, that's, you know, so a little bit of gun porn mixed in there too about the firing mechanism of a Colt python. Oh, 100%. So, from Las Vegas, uh, I'm sorry, from Orange County, they're told to meet uh, Detective Monty. He says, meet me at the hospital, um, which leads Reacher to assume that um, Sanchez uh, is not dead, but he might might be severely in- injured. Um, I think Monty says it. He says something like, oh, it has to do with Sanchez, so get here quick. Um, so, O'Donnell and Dixon go to the hospital, and Reacher and Nagley they go to find Margaret Berenson, the HR lady from uh, New Age, because they're like, yeah, she's been lying to us. She knows more than she's letting on. Let's go find her. Um, uh, They find out that New Age has been producing these missile systems, but that they have been pretending to destroy the prototypes. Um, The numbers on that Excel spreadsheet represent the supposed like failed tests compared to successful tests, Um, because if they mark a test as a failure, they can basically put that missile aside and sell it. So basically, they're fudging the numbers, and they're um, they're they're counting certain weapons as like um, wasted. What do they? You would know this. So in in like in bartending, isn't there a word for that? Like spillage? Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, Something like that, right? There's, like there's like loss prevention terms for this kind of stuff, like overhead, like. But. Uh, <sighs> Spillage is a term that's used. Well, they're just they're just kind of chalking it up to like waste. But what they're actually doing is setting yeah, them aside. Truck. Yeah, they're setting them aside, and they're going to be selling it to this foreign terrorist named Azari Mahmoud, and he is the guy with all those AM names. Azari Mahmoud. Uh, I'll say it. <laughs> is that how you say his name? That's how the audiobook says it. That's how. Uh, uh, was it Dick Hill says it? Do they say? Did, does he describe it as Calvin, Calvin Franz or Franz? It's Franz. Franz. Okay. I mean, I could see it. I. I mean, if Dick Hill says it like Franz, that's fine. But um. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. To a real mofo. Um. Yeah. Anyways, uh, actually, before this, um, I'm I'm going. I I think I skipped over a real serious action uh, set piece they decide to launch a siege on the new age office and they get those honda civics and they basically like drive through the front of the office and they want to just like collect whatever information they can collect um and carla dixon picks up the employee directory during that scene and looks through it and they find uh contact information for uh, an electronics manufacturing plant owned by new age so they're actual like building their their manufacturing facility and they find a phone number for a pilot's office so this kind of cinches it for them like this is that's the helicopter um pad and that's the helicopter pilot who flew franz out and threw him out of the you know participated in that so they basically kind of have a destination we we get the sense this is where things are going to go down a short flight and a shorter fall yeah nagley and reacher leave Berenson's house. She says, yeah, this is, they're up to no good. I'm actually being blackmailed by new ages, uh, director. His name's Alan LaMason. Um, how does Dick Hill say it? LaMason or 
I don't remember. I want to say Alan Lemason. It might be Lemison or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Who threatened to harm her child if she reveals what's going on. And Reacher and Nagley kind of help them out. And they give them like a safe place to hide while things blow over. However, th- I believe it's through Nagley's office worker, like her, her, her little office investigator. They found out that Lemason used to be a cop. And when he was a cop, before he became security director, his partner was Curtis Monty. So they figured those yep. two people are working together and Monty has been messing with them all along, throwing them off the, the scent. So O'Donnell, O'Donnell and Dixon, they go to the hospital, you know, because Monty says, meet, meet me there. It has to do with Sanchez. And they're basically kidnapped and they're taken to New Age's director, Alan LeMason, and they are um, put in a helicopter and they're going to get the, uh, the Franz treatment. So Reacher and Nagley track Monty down. They take his suitcase containing the terrorist payment of $65 million. They they shoot him in the head, I think. And at this point, Reacher tells Nagley, you know, you get out of here. Try and find out where that terrorist is is coming from because he's going to come to this manufacturing plant to uh, – or he, there's going to be a pickup, you know, like he, he's, he's got to be, we, we have to intercept the terrorist. Here's a map and a yellow pages, figure out where he's coming. Wait, no, that's how I do it. Yeah. So he basically has, he, he puts her on a side quest We'll put it that way. But then he sneaks onto the helicopter where O'Donnell and um, Dixon are tied up. He gets the jump on them and he has them fly out over the desert and he throws La Mason out of the helicopter. You know, a bit of revenge. Um, yep. This is why I was saying that he kind of, I think he kind of gives Nagley the shaft, is that, like, she was, like, the driving force behind all of this, and he denies her, like, that that very material act of revenge at the end. And he, he knows he's doing it. He kind of lies to her, but he needs her. Yeah. He needs her to do the side quest. It's important because they still need to capture this terrorist who I think actually at this point has purchased and has all of the missile systems like in his custody. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like the, the hand, the trade off has already happened. Yeah. So Nagley figures, they, they figure out that this terrorist, um, Mahmoud, Mahmoud, is uh, he's going to need help figuring out how this missile system works. There's an engineer that's kind of brought up throughout the book, and they figure he's probably going to meet up with that engineer so he can show him how this is done. Um, and they end up figuring out where the engineer lives. He lives like way out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Nagley helps them helps land the helicopter in this area because she's kind of scouts ahead and finds out where it is. They land the helicopter. And then Reacher. Yeah, there's something. There's something with like that. There's targeting chips that have to be like installed or something. Yeah, they have to. You do and, have to like set it up. You know. Yeah, it's not just open and use. So there is like, uh, like you said, there's like an engineer that they have or a technician. It's not plug and play. Hey. <laughs> oh, technician. There's another checklist item. Ding. So so, um, the helicopter lands, uh, and Reacher snaps the pilot's neck. Again, there's a brutality to this. Like he. Rid- Ridiculous! Like I know the pilot was in on all of this and like complied, but maybe he was threatened too with like like blackmail, just like the other lady was being like he, brutal. He just brutal. Yeah, he kind of says like, "Hey, man, you know, like I think he says like you know, it, was, it was the money and all this stuff. Like, what do you want from me? You know." Uh, so the last part of this story is deals with the terrorist weapons buyer. Um, he shows up at the engineer's house. They apprehend him, they tie him up, and the FBI is on the way to arrest him. Um, they, things wind up pretty uh, quickly after this. They set up some trust funds for the murdered team members' families with the $65 million that they, they've, like, you know, uh, got their hands on as well, that the terrorists paid for all the missiles. They donate some money to PETA on behalf for, you know, in honor of Tony Swan's dog that was killed. Yep. And um, they split. You know the mon- the rest of the money between themselves, which means a hundred thousand dollars. You know for Reacher. Reacher looks at the deposit because Carla Dixon, the the money expert, you know, did all the the the, the financial work here. And um, it should be noted that I for- can't believe I forgot this throughout the book. Dixon and Reacher hook up. You know, you can tell Dixon kind of they have a thing for each other, but Dixon is is obviously a lot more grounded. 
Um, and it kind of leaves it open with Reacher. Like, you know, if you ever want to come to New York and we can try and make this thing work, you're welcome to do that. So when he looks at his, um, his bank account, he, he sees that, yeah, that $100,000 uh, $100, came in multiple different deposits and they come in like, just like with Nagley, they come in kind of like coded amounts, like 10000 or like, you know, $10,180 and this many cents. And he, he decodes it and it means mission accomplished. And she puts her zip code in there as well, Greenwich Village, New York, kind of like saying like, hey, come see me. And, you know, she, she remembers he invited her, or she, he remembers she invited him to New York. He thinks about it for a minute and then is like, no, nah, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that makes plans. Do you remember where this book ends? I don't. Santa Fe, New Mexico. So he, no way! he's in Santa Fe. That's where he kind of figures out all the money stuff. He's at, he's described as being at the Santa Fe bus depot. There is no bus depot here. There's a train. Oh my God. There's the train, uh, the train depot, which you have most certainly my seen. Willing suspension of disbelief shattered. You've seen the train depot. It's, it's right next to the Jean, Co- the Jean Cocteau theater. So yeah. he ends up buying a, a bus ticket to wherever, you know, the, the first first bus to leave, you know, and he gets on it. And it's a very Reacher-esque ending. Another thing that struck me about this ending I wanted to comment on is that it reminded me it, it's the double ending, right? We see this in um, uh, we see this in Die Trying, where he takes out the bat, the main bad guy, the villain. But there's still some cleanup that has to be done afterwards. And it's like it's the it's the one two punch ending, which, you know, uh, is pretty cool. Pretty good. It works, you know. All right, folks, that's going to be the end of part one. We're going to have to split this into two parts because we talk too much. Uh, I've been Chris Ludwig and my co-host is Connor Boyle. Our email address is dadlitpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at dadlitpodcast. Our theme music is Meta Gears by Vitizen. You can find him at vitizen.card.co. Card has two R's in it. Thank you all, and remember... You do not mess with the... Danny! Get out of here. Just don't ask questions. 